As many of you know, I used to be in business. I spent 12 years in the corporate world before I went into ministry. And that season of my life is over. I'm no longer a businessman, but I still sometimes go to meetings like Rotary Club or Chamber of Commerce. I go to those meetings where I can interact with business people. And I'm also not part of a community nonprofit organization, but I sometimes attend meetings with the people who lead those service and even activist organizations. And when I go to those meetings, usually I'm the only pastor in the room. Sometimes I'm the only Christian in the room. And from time to time, that can lead to some awkward and even uncomfortable social situations. So why do I do this? Why do I go to meetings where I do not have something overtly in common with the people who gather? I do it because I want to meet people on their turf. I want to connect with them on their terms and understand their lives. And as I do this, I show interest in them and I create a basis for relationship based on the things they're passionate about. And through these connections... I am able to meet some people who are spiritually adrift. And I get a chance to try to draw them closer to Jesus. And from time to time, I've had the privilege of baptizing some of these people as they make the choice to get a fresh start with God. You see, I've learned that a great way to love our neighbors as we love ourselves is to love them on their, on their terms, to love them on their turf, to love them as they are. And I do this because this is the way of Jesus. And let's take a look at how Jesus lives that out as recorded for us in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Luke writes and says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Oh, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Most people, I find, don't like paying taxes. Most of us don't feel all warm and cuddly toward the IRS. We'll probably never see a bumper sticker that says, Hug an IRS auditor today. But however we feel about taxes is nothing compared to the hatred of taxes and tax collectors in the first century. 
In the Roman Empire, tax collectors were private businessmen who gave a set amount of money to the government each year, and they got to keep the rest. And they were empowered to get rich by twisting the tax laws to their own personal advantage. And the result was an unjust system. People hated the oppressive taxes that kept them poor. They hated the Jewish tax collectors who collected those taxes, not just for the oppression, but because they did work that supported the hated Roman government. Nothing but hate. So Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is a hated man. He is a social outcast. He also is a religious outcast because the priests label him as a sinner in a sinful line of work. For Zacchaeus, it's a bleak picture. Very few friends, a limited social life, no spiritual life. God's people have given up on this sinner. Yet this sinner wants to see Jesus. And why would that be? Well, it's probably because he's heard that Jesus is willing to hang out with people just like him. In fact, Jesus even has picked a tax collector to be one of his own disciples. And so as I I read this story... To me, it's absolutely no surprise that Zacchaeus runs. He runs to climb a tree so he can have an unimpeded view of Jesus. He is dying to see Jesus. This man who just might welcome someone like him. Zacchaeus' eagerness tells us that he's not given up on God. And I find this something to be very common in our world We are surrounded by all kinds of people who've given up on church. And we're surrounded by people who, quite frankly, have given up on folks like us because they think that we've given up on them. Yet so often they've not given up on God. And so when we choose to show interest in someone who is spiritually adrift, things may begin to change. When we make it clear to another person that we want to spend time with them, things may begin to change. When we show them that we want to meet them on their terms, on their turf, by going to their homes and doing things that they love to do, things may begin to change. As we love people on their terms, we can build connections and have opportunities to hopefully draw them closer to Jesus, to get them into relationship with the living God. And that's what Zacchaeus, excuse me, that's what Jesus does with Zacchaeus. In the Middle East, showing hospitality is a huge cultural value. And yet Zacchaeus rarely gets the opportunity to do that because no one wants to dine at the home of a taxman. And here comes Jesus, says to Zacchaeus, I want to stay with you, which means we're going to break bread together. We're going to spend time together. I'm going to be in your home, Zacchaeus, that home where no one else but another tax collector or a Roman government official would ever want to go. 
Jesus in that statement is imparting value to Zacchaeus. He's not endorsing his lifestyle. He's simply accepting him as he is. You know what Jesus is doing here? He is loving his neighbor as he loves himself. He's showing us how to do it. And this simple act of acceptance transforms Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is spiritually changed that very day and makes a bold statement of repentance and restitution. And that is precisely what Jesus wants. Because he came to rescue people like Zacchaeus who are spiritually lost. Yet here's what we need to realize. Without this act of love from Jesus, Zacchaeus would have remained lost. And sadly, it's because the religious people of that day want Zacchaeus to clean up his act before before they spend time with him. And that's why they criticize Jesus for spending time with a sinner. And we need to be honest that, that the way of the religious person is a lot easier to follow Because then we don't have to hang out with people who might make us uncomfortable. Yet we're not asked to follow the religious way. We're asked to follow the way of Jesus. To love people on their terms. On their turf. To love our neighbor. Whoever he or she may be. Wherever we may find them. To love them even if Others criticize us for doing so. That's what Jesus teaches us. That's what Jesus models for us. And a few years later, when the Apostle Paul is converted and he becomes a follower of Jesus, this principle, this very principle, becomes the foundation of his ministry. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 19 to 23. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, Gentiles, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. And to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Listen to this summary. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You see, Paul clearly is willing to meet people on their terms based on what they're interested in and what they value. So if he's with a Jew, Paul will talk about Jewish stuff. He'll talk about the Jewish religious law and their customs and their culture. And then when Paul's with Gentiles who are not under the Jewish law, he'll talk with them about their religion or their lack of religion, and he'll talk about their values and their lives. Paul does this because he learned from Jesus that a great way to connect with people who are spiritually adrift is to meet them where they are and to love them on their terms. 
it's a powerful way to show our neighbor that we love them as we love ourselves. And as we build connections, it's a way to hopefully lead people to Jesus so they can be rescued from their sins. Life-changing principles if we get out of our ruts and out of our routines and perhaps change the way we relate to our neighbors. And I want to tell you that I'm very excited because our youth ministry is embarking on a new venture to put this biblical principle into action because we want to learn how to love teens in our community in a better way. And we want to create new avenues to draw teens toward Jesus Christ. And here's what we're going to do. There's a whole lot of youth culture today that is built around gaming. And if you have a teenager in your family, you know that. Video games, internet games. The reality is that gaming is an activity that a whole lot of people in my generation don't understand. And yet, here's what also happens. Gaming has become kind of a subculture. And it's a subculture that oftentimes the church has shunned and pushed away. And as a result, a whole lot of teen gamers feel kind of like Zacchaeus. Isolated and unloved by God's people. And so we're going to take a step of faith as a church. We're going to follow the way of Jesus and the way of the Apostle Paul and strive to love these teens on their terms through gaming. And God has brought into our lives someone uniquely qualified to help us do just that. Jamie Harris is a former youth minister. God has been at work in his life in a significant way. Jamie loves Jesus and he loves teens. And he loves gaming. And the Holy Spirit has prompted Jamie to bring those three loves together into a unique new ministry called Satellite Gaming. And Jamie and his team are going to come alongside us and teach us how we can connect with teens through something that the teens love. And as we build relationships with teens, as we show them that we love them, as we meet them on their turf doing something that they love, our hope is that we can help these teens to learn to love Jesus. And we are very privileged to have Jamie with us this morning. I'd like to ask him to come up to the platform. And Jamie's going to give us some insights about the world of gaming and the ministry impact that we can have. Jamie, thank you so much for coming and being with us this morning. We're looking forward to hearing what you have to share. Thank you. I have to admit, I'm uh, a bit emotional right now. Uh, Bruce, I love listening to you this morning. Uh, I also want to point out that I was excited uh, to hear a specific song this morning. And I, I do some of the music at our church in Kaiser, Lake Point Community Church. And uh, we get a little loud. Uh, we make some noise. <clears throat> and um, sometimes... Uh, Individuals of certain generations will say, that was great, it was loud, it was loud. <laughs> and, and others will say, I didn't like it, it was loud. And so I'll play hymns every now and then uh, because I want to I 
help create a, an environment. We only have one service, and we want to do our best to create an environment where everyone feels comfortable and loved and feels like they can worship when we start the music. And I do this hymn, and, and people always say, That's, is, that a, is that a hymn? Is that a... And it's, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. And I have not heard that song since I was a kid. Um, I mean, I've, I sing that song every now and then. And people are like, well, just sing a normal hymn like Amazing Grace or something. I'm like, that's a real hymn. It exists. So I recorded it a little bit this morning. I had my phone out. And uh, I hope you know, I will show that to uh, our worship team uh, back at my church. And I will say, see, it is a real song. <laughs> so uh, thank you for uh, creating a, a place where... Um, where I can feel worship this morning. And Bruce, thank you for communicating in a way that um, just reminds me of why it is that we do what we do at Satellite Gaming. Our mission statement at Satellite Gaming is pointing students to Jesus Christ by building relationships through video games. There's a lot of, a lot of thought went into why do, we name, why do we have this long, you know, why can't we just say, like, we love games, we love Jesus? Well, there's... That's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there, and I really like this word, pointing. Um, I, I'm one to believe that uh, God is capable of doing so much more than we can understand and fathom. And as I look at my life and the things that I've been through and the way that uh, video games played a role in my life and the way that God saved me from some of the things that I was in, um, it took someone pointing to Jesus for me to see that. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit used those people in my life to do that. Uh, and I, I remember, I don't remember a lot of those, the things they said when I was a teenager, but I remember as a teenager, people were there and people were pointing. You know, I, I had teachers that pointed me to Jesus. I probably couldn't tell you a single thing they said because I didn't pay attention a lot. But I, I remember times where I was hurting and struggling and they were just pointing me to Jesus, pointing me to Jesus. Pointing students to Jesus Christ by building relationships through video games. I remember when I was uh, driving from my hometown of Emmett, Idaho, to Kaiser. Anybody know where Emmett is? Is anybody? Hey, there we go. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. See, babe, it is a real town. See, just, we're learning all sorts of stuff this morning. Um, I remember driving from Emmett, entering into this new season of my life where I was going to be a youth pastor, my first full-time role in youth ministry. I'd served in ministry since I had graduated high school, but this was the first uh, like pastoral role that I had. There was some, I felt like a real adult. It's about time. I was close to 25. I'm like, yay, I'm growing up. And I was driving in my car. We were getting, my wife and I now, we were engaged at the time. We are both moving from my hometown in Emmett, Idaho to her hometown. We are getting married in a month, new job starting, new church family. Everything was new to me. And I remember so vividly driving in the car and praying a prayer, something like this. God, I will be the youth pastor that those kids in Kaiser need. If, if they play football, I played some sports growing up. If they play football, I will be like an assistant coach or a chaplain on the football team. If they play basketball, I'll be like a ref or a volunteer chaplain. So I'll travel with them. I'll drive the bus. I don't care. I, I want to be around these students in the world they are in. If they crochet, I'll learn how to crochet. I will do whatever it is that these kids want to do. And I did put a little disclaimer at the end. I said, God, please do not let them be car mechanics. 
I, I can rebuild a computer. I can tinker with most electronics, but you do not want me working on a vehicle if you plan on getting anywhere uh, more than 10 feet. So I showed up, and one of the first things that I witnessed in this youth ministry was a group of probably three or four students, which was pretty much the entire youth ministry at the time. Uh, and they were talking, the one of them was wearing a Star Wars shirt, and they were talking about which Star Wars movie was the best. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, my people. <laughs> um, I'm a nerd. I, I like nerd culture. Um, but I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, for me, anything that I engage in, in culture, in, um, in life, anything fun that I do, I, ca- I can't say that I'm always aware of this, but I, I try to be mindful and say, Whatever it is in life that I love, how can I, how can I make that Jesus-centric? How can I make that love-centric? How can I be a part of that culture of, of nerdum or of video gaming and, and really make it Jesus-centric? So for me, video games have had a time in my life where they were destructive for me, destructive for relationships I was in. Um, as anything can be, food can be that for us. Um, I think that um, pursuing knowledge can be that for us. Um, we, we can let anything interfere with um, what Jesus really wants for us. But it was my time at Lake Point as a youth pastor that I realized um, how valuable reaching students through video games was. If you had 100 teens in this room and you said, how many of you play football? A good amount may raise their hand. How many of you play volleyball? Again, some would raise their hand. You name an activity, a number of hands are going to go up. Um, when you say video games, it, it is the most commonly engaged activity amongst youth. Um, that's statistically proven. It's, it's pretty much fact that one of the most engaged activities, worldwide especially, I mean, you think American culture plays a lot of video games. So let's go to an Eastern country, you know, where that's, that's literally, they, they love it. They love it. Um, and I, I will tell you this, uh, I'm, I was convicted because I looked at our schools, I looked at our cities, and then I looked at our churches, and I was even more convicted. We have uh, school activities that revolve around sports, that revolve around um, chess club, that revolve around singing. I love singing. I love playing music. Um, we have ways for students to engage in positive community with every single one of these activities. But when was the last time you saw an esports team, like of esports being video games? Uh, that's a term for you. you so you, you go to your you go to your, your family members and you tell them you know what esports is. That's competitive video games. You're going to seem like you know a lot. So uh, write it down if you need to. I'll give you a second. Esports. You don't see youth esports teams. We don't. And you say, well, that's just that's just silly. Why do we do that? Well, one of the most popular sports in America is we put pads on each other and run into each other as fast as we can. Okay, and we kick a pigskin ball through two yellow posts and we celebrate that. But the moment a kid picks up a video game controller and creates an entire world from scratch on Minecraft, we kind of scoff at it. And um, I say that from a place of personal conviction in this. I looked at our churches, I looked at our society, and I said, why is it that video games are the most commonly engaged activity, yet it's the thing that we offer the least amount of positive influence in? And I was really convicted. So I went to my senior pastor, Tom Fox, and I said, we got to do something. I want to do something for the community. Let's just play video games. And he's like, okay, are you going to like preach at them? Are you going to read the Bible or anything? I'm like, I, I think if we, I don't know. I don't know. So we prayed about it. And, and what we decided was we'd have times where we do play video games at youth group. But we wanted to create, period, a safe place for the community to come play video games. 
And uh, we weren't going to do a verbal gospel presentation. That, that was hard for some of our church members because we always want to share Jesus verbally with people. But our kind of theme was this old phrase, uh, preach the gospel constantly, use words if necessary. And we wanted to promote this event in public schools. We wanted to show up at a public school, hand out flyers, and invite students to come play video games in a safe place in hopes that they would connect with some of our leaders and build a relationship with them. And then uh, from then, maybe, maybe see uh, either through social media or through hanging out that um, what influences us to pursue this positivity is the love of Jesus. And that would then open doors to more relationships. Um, there's so much I could say, but... I think I want to tell you one quick story um, to maybe help you understand a, a little bit more why it is that we do this. When I was a youth pastor, I, I encouraged our students to write down the name of somebody that they could think of that um, maybe either had a distaste toward Jesus or um, had maybe been hurt by the church or maybe just had no faith at all. Can you write down this person and I'll, this person's name? And all the students said, oh yeah, and we're going to invite them to church, Right. He said, no, I just, I just want you to pray for them. So just write down a name and just, just pray for them. Don't go hit them with your Bible. Don't go preach at them. Just, just ask Jesus how you can love this person more intentionally. And uh, one of our students, his name is Matthew, he wrote down a name, Nathan Tamplin. And when he wrote down that name, I, I remember seeing it, and I remember seeing some other names. And, oh, I don't know, we didn't really address these pieces of paper for a while, but Eventually, I said, okay, now we're going to have this invite night where you're just going to invite your friends. We're going to hang out. We'll we'll play some games, and maybe we'll have some ice cream. Maybe we'll pray for the food, but we're just going to hang out. And, of course, this young man, Nathan Tamplin, shows up at church. And I said, Matthew, good job, good job. And Nathan keeps coming around, and he shows up to play video games. There's this game called Super Smash Brothers. It's super silly, and I'm sorry, but they really like it. And they keep showing up to play this game over and over and over again. And summer comes around, and we are getting ready for middle school camp. And have, you, have any of you ever helped out at a youth camp? It's real crazy. It's real crazy. And Matthew, I, I love him, but I got a phone call the day before we're leaving for youth camp. And you know sometimes you need a call from someone, and you just know, like, they're going to bail on me. This, that, this phone call, this is not a good phone call. They're not going to come to camp. I answered the phone, and I said, hello, Matthew. And he said, I cannot come to camp tomorrow. He was going to be one of our cabin leaders. He was going to run a small group of kids. He was, he was uh, uh, going to be a junior in high school, so he's going to be a student leader. And I feel like that was something that like, I, was really, like, I was really excited about. And I said, well, okay. And I'm frustrated. I'm thinking selfishly, why are you not coming? And he said, Nathan's dad died in his sleep last night. And the first thing that came to my mind is, now he's never going to meet Jesus because he killed his dad. And I was treating Nathan like a project. I was treating Nathan like he was going to be the next notch on my Christian belt of achievements. I was forgetting that Nathan was a human being that had real hurt and pain, and he was suffering the loss of his father at 16 years old. And uh, Matthew and I had a good conversation, and um, I, of course, said, yes, please, Matthew, do not come to camp. Um, Spend time with Nathan. Love on him. And we didn't see Nathan for about three months, and uh, I was kind of bummed. Again, I thought, well, I guess there goes that, you know. Nathan's not coming to church anymore. He's mad at God. He hates God, you know. And uh, we're doing a series on discipleship a few months later, and we're talking about um, 
how Jesus says people are going to know that we are his disciples. And he says, by the way you love one another. And as we're sitting in a small group, we, what we do is we finish up a small 10-minute talk. I, I present the gospel, share for 10 minutes, and then we get into a small group of just young men and young women. And we're sitting with the young men, and in this group, there are people that, you know, they went to Awanas, they know all the Bible verses, they have everything memorized. And then you have a couple kids like Nathan that don't really know scripture at all. And one of the first questions I asked was, can you name someone in your life who is a good disciple of something, just a good student of something, a good follower the first thing that was spoken was Nathan, and he raised his hand. This is Nathan Tamplin, at the time an atheist, maybe agnostic, I don't know. Um, and he said, I think Matthew is a good disciple of Jesus. And me, being the facilitator and the, the, the good small group leader that I thought I was, I said, oh, yeah, let's expand on that. Nathan, why do you think Matthew's a good disciple? And he's like, oh... You know, he didn't want to talk about the Bible. The Bible is just hogwash. So he says, well, you know, you said something like, people will know you're a disciple of Jesus by the way you love one another. And I was thinking, yeah, I did say that, and Jesus did say that. Like, that's great. Um, and, and so we moved on, and the conversation went along, and I wanted to affirm that. So I pulled Nathan and Matthew aside after youth group, and they kind of slug along. They're, oh, I just want to go play games. And I'm like, just, just wait. Let's capitalize on this. I said, Matthew... You need to hear that what you are doing is, is working. That the way that you are just loving Nathan is working. And I said, Nathan, why do you keep coming to church? Why do you come back here? And he's like, to play Smash Brothers. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's silly. Why, why are you here? And immediately he put his head down and tears started hitting the ground. And I will never forget what he said. He said, my dad died this summer. And ever since he died, there's been this huge hole in my heart. And the only time that, feels, that hole feels full is when I'm here around people that love Jesus. Nathan Samplin went to Mexico with us on a mission trip that spring. He gave his life to Christ that summer. He got baptized. And now he is the youngest member that sits on our board of directors at Satellite Gaming. Um, I think that's just as much Matthew's story as it is Nathan's. I think Matthew understood... Um, and I, I'm going to be very, this is going to sound harsh, and I'm, I'm sorry if this offends uh, some of you. Sometimes um, we need to just shut up and listen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, pardon me. Um, but sometimes we need, we need to understand, um, yes, some of us have this deep knowledge of Scripture. We have this deep understanding of who Jesus is, maybe because of our own experiences. Um, maybe some of us have... We're beyond the point where we believe in it through faith. We know it by experience that Jesus is a living God. Um, but there are people that have such a distaste toward Jesus. And they have things they love, like video games, like sports, like crocheting, like chess. And I think, it's, I think that it, it might take um, someone like Matthew, who shares a common interest in something, um, Someone like Matthew to just say, you know what, I, I don't fully understand why you don't believe in Jesus. I wish you did, and I know you don't want to hear about it, so I'm just going to love you through this journey. Um, I, I think I want to share uh, one scripture to close up on what I have to say. And, um, it's a verse in 1 Corinthians, and it's chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. And before this, what I will say is, um, I think who this verse is, is, is for, well, I think scripture is for everyone. You know, we, we just, we, we find a piece of scripture like, oh, that's for me. Well, you know what it all is, but, but um, I think 
when this verse hit me the most is when I saw this story with Matthew unfold. Matthew, uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of scripture memorized. He's not, um, he's a smart kid. He's a bright kid, but he's, you know, he's not the, I guess, the brightest, young, scripture-memorizing, perfect little Christian kid. He's just a young man who loves Jesus and loves people. And when I think of nerd culture and video games and where video games are right now in our society and, and kind of what we have done, and Bruce, the word you used was maybe shunned, how we've kind of belittled or shunned video game culture or those within it. I read this verse and I just think God wants to use anybody that is willing. And um, it says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many, anybody raise your hand. <laughs> That's me. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. If you love Jesus, um, don't feel like you've got to have half the Bible memorized before you're ready to share that with somebody. Jesus, uh, when he healed the demon-possessed man, remember he sent him into the pigs and they ran off the cliff, um, there was pretty much one qualifier I'm almost certain that Jesus, after he talked with this man, he says, okay, I want you to go to your hometown and now tell them about what happened because they don't want me here. I think there was only one qualifier, and Jesus said, probably, it's not there, but he probably said, will you put some clothes on? (laughs) Um, uh, If that was the only qualifier that Jesus had, the man had been saved. You know, he had had a relationship with Jesus for a whole five minutes, and he was ready to go share the gospel. Jesus didn't say, no, first memorize this part of scripture. First read through the book of John that's not written yet. Um, First take these steps, do these things. No, he said, go and tell people about what you've experienced. Um, That was a very foolish man. And you could say that um, that was a foolish act of Jesus, but it wasn't. Jesus saw he was qualified. He saw he was ready. He saw that he loved people. You may not have any understanding of video game culture, but I assure you that if you're willing, uh, God will use you to share the love of Jesus with somebody that loves video games. And perhaps you are a car mechanic, and Jesus wants you to start up satellite car mechanics or something like that. Um, I'm so grateful to be here this morning. I'm very grateful for you, Bruce. And um, you got to hear this. Um, Sitting and looking out at this congregation and to think that, you're a congregation that is ready to challenge yourselves to do this. Um, oh, man. It makes me emotional. So thank you. Thank you. Jamie, I just love your heart for our Lord and your heart for kids and your desire to reach them and help build the kingdom of God. That is so exciting. And we're looking forward to partnering with you and your team. Jamie's got a table out here in the lobby. He'll be standing there with his wife, Jessica, who is uh, getting ready in about three weeks to give birth to their first child. So we're excited for you. God bless you. And we are excited about what lies ahead. And I'm excited anytime we try something new and different as a new way to connect with people who are spiritually adrift and need Jesus. And so we're going to have an initial gaming event here at the church, Gardenway Church Youth Ministry in partnership with Satellite Gaming. It's going to be on Thursday, February 20th from 5.30 to 8 o'clock p.m. 
And we want our teens to come and to invite their friends. And we also want adults to come because satellite gaming also will provide a Q&A session for people like me, for people like us. They want to help us better understand our kids and our grandkids. They want to help us learn how we can set appropriate boundaries, but also how we can just open up our hands and let teens have fun and build connections through gaming, something so many teens are passionate about, and through relationship to draw people closer to Jesus. Well, based on what we've heard today, I have three suggestions about how we can respond. Number one, out on the table, the satellite gaming table, there's a flyer about our upcoming gaming event. I encourage you to grab one of those and give that to a teen in your family and encourage them to come and to bring a friend on February 20th. And number two, pray for our youth ministry. Pray for Rachel White and the volunteers who work with her as they prepare for this. Pray for Jamie and the team at Satellite Gaming that's going to come. And let's pray together for this event on February 20th that we will begin to forge meaningful relationships with teens who need Jesus. And then number three, think about people in your life who are spiritually adrift. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor on your street. Maybe it's a, a classmate at school. Here's the question. What can you and I do to communicate value to those people that God has placed around us? What can we do to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Let's be intentional about loving people on their terms, on their turf. And then let's see what God might do, because that is the way of Jesus.